Welcome back to the Big East Rewind. Tonight, Sonny and I talk to strength and conditioning coach of the St. John's Red Storm, Jeff Evelard. Jeff talks to us all about how he got involved with being a strength and conditioning coach and how he makes the St. John's Red Storm very efficient and ready to play at a moment's notice. You don't want to miss this one. It's a very interesting topic. We've never done this one before. Check it out right here on the Big East Rewind. Welcome back to another edition of the Big East Rewind. I am your seven-foot host from Villanova University, Chuck Everson, and my partner and my buddy and my point guard is Sonny Sparrow from Syracuse University. How are you, Sonny? I'm great, Chuck. How are you? Doing good, doing good. We've had a few, a couple of uh, good days uh, recently, son. I don't want to get too deep into it now, but uh, we are definitely professional journalists, my friend. It's official. It's official. I'll give everybody a hint, Sonny. I'll give everybody a hint. There it is, right there. Can you see that in the camera? It was, tri- it was trial by fire, man. Trial, trial by, by fire. fire. We'll, we'll definitely get into that later on in another show, but that was a lot of fun hanging out over there at the garden. Uh, back in our old stomping grounds, kind of, so to speak, and had a great time there, right? So, yep. And got you to know, talk now, to. Uh, go ahead. Got to talk to our guest's head coach, who's going we to did. turn things. It was a brief conversation. It, extremely. But we did get a chance to speak to. Him. He was, though. <laughs> he was moving, man. He was hustling, right? Coach P was, was walk moving. and talk. <laughs> Walk and talk, and he's he's a pro's pro, Sonny. There's no doubt oh about it. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that I think the like other coaches, yeah. other coaches were taking notes on how to handle himself. <laughs> well, he's a Hall of Famer, Sonny. He's not a Hall of Famer for nothing, you yeah, know. It's big time, it's, big timer. It's more than just X's and O's, my man. That's right. And speaking of Coach <laughs> Patino, okay, so yeah. he is notorious for having his teams in extremely good shape. Would you agree with that, Sonny? Yes, I would. I think Rick yeah. Rick Patino, Shaka Smart, and I think Danny Hurley. But Shaka and Rick, I think, are known for the conditioning, the um, the monitoring, the you know pushing yeah. players to you know when you say, "Listen, you're not going hard enough." And like, yeah, I am. No, you're not. I will prove it. So, well, you know what? It, you know, the first guy that I remember in our tenure, our age of of getting him a, a whole body makeover, if you will, without yeah, without having surgery, you know, was Billy Donovan, who's now yeah. coaching the Chicago Bulls. He went from a chunky, you know, guy who mm-hmm. you know you you said it. We were kidding around. You said you he was an easy guard to being one of the best players in the whole conference, right? And then he, he, in a he matter was of an one easy summer, cover. He was he, an easy cover until Patino lands in Providence, and all of a sudden. Over the summer, he transforms his body, and to this day, you could tell fitness is important to him because he's always very fit. So yeah, he's always running and doing things. Yep, exactly. So to that degree, our guest today is the brand new strength conditioning coach at St. John's University. Uh, he came by the way of I think Rochester, and then went to uh, Lock Haven, played ball at Lock Haven, Sonny. And yes, uh, he did. did some time, uh, did some time with the athletic teams in Nyack and at Rutgers. And uh, most recently spent time uh, at Hawk Hill in Philadelphia at St. Joe's in Philadelphia. And now today he's with us and he's the strength coach from the St. John's Red, uh, Red Storm. He's Jeff Avalard. How are you, Jeff? 
Good to meet you. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you. I, I, I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here. I, I hope <clears> you can pick up on Chuck before. saying the red. Uh, he was going to say Redmond. I'm telling you. <laughs> I almost did. It's hard. You know what? It's hard. It's, it's hard, man. When you played in the 80s, you know, and it was the Redmond, it's kind of always been the Redmond, you know? And I don't, something happened when they changed the name. They haven't been back to prominence yet, but I think that's going to change very soon. Between between Jeff working with the guys and Coach Patino, um, I think you might hear a lot about the Red Storm coming up, Sonny. So you better get used to the name, my friend. All right? That's right. That's right. So, so let's start it off, Jeff. So so what made you get into the field of, of you know sports conditioning and training? How did you? How did you? How did you evolve from being an athlete yourself and playing to going to strength conditioning? Yeah, that's a that's a good question, and uh, it it spawned from being an athlete. I I, I walked on to a uh, junior college in uh, Binghamton, New York, and um, my first year I did. Uh, I mean, my first semester I didn't really play too much. Um, I knew I could play, but um, I, I didn't play too much. And then uh, second semester, I was given an opportunity to play. And, um, you know, there were some bright spots there. And, and that summer, I decided to get in the weight room. And I spent, as soon as the season ended, I just spent that whole time just lifting. And um, I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but some of it transferred onto the court. You know, I was jumping a little bit higher. Um, I was quicker. I was stronger. I was able to absorb impact. I was able to defend multiple positions. And um, the following year, I ended up getting like multiple scholarships or offers. And, uh, you know, I'm a kid who never played high school basketball. And uh, I just got the rest of my, you know, I got my education paid for. And in my mind, I, I correlated the weight room. I, I, and I tell this story to the athletes. Uh, you know, I don't speak much about myself, but I mean, the one story I do tell them when I meet them is that, um, you know, I correlated the weight room with my success. And I honestly don't believe that um, I would have gotten a scholarship if I wasn't in the weight room. And that's kind of how my love for just strength and conditioning and just sports performance started. And it just kept building and growing from there. I got I got to yeah, mention I, how, how I got to mention how we got a hold of Jeff. So yeah. Jeff mentioned he walked on at Broom Community College, which is now SUNY Broom, which is in my backyard, basically. But Coach Larry King is a very good friend of mine. In fact, Chuck, Larry and I went to the Final Four, and you brought us over right. into Wildcat Land down in San Antonio. We had Easter Mass with you, the whole thing. Okay? Yep. So he, he says, hey, I got a guy I think you guys should talk to. And he starts talking about you, Jeff. And I was like, heck, yeah. Let's get him. Let's get on him. So <laughs> thank you, Coach King, for putting us together. And I, I find it amazing that you didn't play in high school, but did you play a lot of – Pickup, street ball, park ball. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I played. I played a ton, and um, and you know, I would I would play a little bit of AAU. I'd jump on just random AAU teams, and I, it was just random. I'd get calls, and I you know I'd play maybe for like seven or eight different AAU teams, and um, I just play in different tournaments. But I never actually played a full season of high school basketball, so no one knew who I was. So. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I did everything on even my college recruitment. A funny story about Coach King. I'm surprised he didn't tell you this. Um, actually, I'm not surprised he didn't tell you this, but I remind him often when I went to uh, SUNY Broom, um, I, you know, I was calling him and I was like, hey, I'm on a visit. I'm just, you know, 
registering or just visiting the campus. And, you know, he wasn't returning my calls and uh, I ended up being a key player for him. So I always uh, tease him about that. But my, my point in bringing that up is that um, it was just difficult to navigate college, you know, and um, I, I knew I could play. Um, and, and I didn't really care what level I played at. I just wanted to play and um, just get an opportunity to showcase my talent. So He said you started as a five man. And then you were the one man the next year. You were starting point guard. Uh, you know what? I don't know if I was a five, but he uh, he would put me in the he put me in the post for sure. Uh, he, he you know he had me guarding four, uh, the four or five or defensively. Definitely, I, w- I would get down there and guard some big guys. And then uh, I transitioned to the point guard at uh, my sophomore year. That's a big step. Yeah, yeah. So so now. You know, get back to, you know, so how do you, how do you now decide that this is, did you take classes and stuff in school to, to, you know, for, for strength and conditioning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, so, um, so as I continued uh, throughout college, you know, I just stayed, I continued to lift and and work out and and I just kept um, falling in love. I would would train, train, I'd hit a plateau and then I'd, I'd dive deeper into the books. And, um, and, and at the time, the, and the internet wasn't as prevalent. It was like really just starting, probably around my sophomore, uh, junior year, Google. It wasn't even Google at the time. It was like uh, Yahoo search engines or um, AOL or wow. something like that. I forget what it was. And um, yeah, I would go to the library and just find these old Russian texts. And, and every time I just kept hitting a plateau, I'd advance and I hit another plateau on my training and I just kept going deeper and deeper down the wheelhouse. And then, um, uh, you know, then people started seeing my progress and then asking me for advice. And um, that's when I kind of got on to something. I was like, all right, this this is something where I want this, where I should live. You know, this should be uh, something that I do. And uh, I love it. You know, I, I do it. I always tell um, I tell the athletes that sometimes when the conversation comes up, it you know, the two things that I would be doing, I, I don't watch much TV, but when I do, it's basketball. And um, when it comes to exercise and just training, I do that every day. So, you know, I'm getting paid to do things that I would do um, all the time, you know. So it's it, I'm very fortunate in that regard. Did you have anybody that either coached you in the weight room, like a, a conditioning coach, a trainer, or now like a mentor? I mean, did anybody like take an interest in you in this aspect? Not just basketball, but this aspect? No, no. Well, not as a, not at the time when I first started. Not at the time. I didn't have someone kind of like walking me through. It was all on my own, which is why I hit so many plateaus. And, um, you know, I would just, you know, see some progress and I'd be stuck for quite a while. And, um, yeah, so no, I didn't have a mentor, which forced me, which was a good thing, you know, in hindsight is that uh, allowed me to just dig deeper and um, just hone my skills more. Can I tell you a little story that Coach King shared with us, though, about you? I think I think yeah. it says a lot about you. He says, you were working at like a Home Depot or a Lowe's or something, and he was coming mm-hmm. to speak at a clinic, and you took time off of your lunch to come over and work out and then and then go back to work. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um- in the summertime, well, first of all, I love Coach. Um, you know, we speak all the time. I love Coach. I can't thank him en- uh, enough. But, um, yeah, in the summertime, I worked at Lowe's, and uh, Binghamton University would have, like, open runs with their guys. Right. 
And I'd be eager to play against those guys, kind of see where my game was at. And, and I would leave work during lunch and like run to Binghamton University and uh, play with those guys. Um, or if coach needed something, sometimes coach would speak at different schools or camps and he'd ask me to drop by. And uh, yeah, I'd go back and I'd go drop by, do what I need to do with coach and then come back and finish my shift at Lowe's. And, uh, you know, Lowe's was great. Lowe's was great. They worked with me a ton. But it just it just speaks a lot about you, though. That's that's the point. Yeah. Go ahead, Chuck. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah. And listen, you got to stay in shape by running from one place to another, not eating lunch. You know, you're running the whole time. So I'm starting to see where you got your athletic prowess from and how you got into it. You know, Sonny opened that sure. door right up for us. So that was good. <laughs> so we are so professional you, journalists. We are. We are. We are. I told you at the beginning of the show. You know, um, so, OK, so so now you you wind up in Nyack, right? And that's where you got that was your first real spot in, in, in the field. Well, for a college institution, yeah. yes. Um, yeah, that was my first real spot. I did a lot of work in the private sector. OK. And Is that where how- you started a quick body solution or did that come later? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, so quick body solutions was before then. All right. So he has a business, yeah. right, called Quick Body Solution. Yeah. And you work in the private yes, sector. I, yep. Right. Yep. And uh, I kept that going. And then I transitioned to NIAC as the head strength and conditioning coach there. Okay. And what what were your what were your duties there? Like on that on that level, what teams were you responsible for at that point? So I all of them. Oh. Um yeah, all of them. So at the time, I think there might have been 14 sports, and I was the strength coach for all 14 sports. Wow. So I, I forget how many athletes it was. But it was a few hundred athletes. So um, and it was soccer, it was basketball, men's and women's. It was uh, lacrosse, volleyball, baseball. So it was good to be in that environment because um, it just exposed you to just different athletes and their needs. And um, it, it just really just – you know, kind of cutting your teeth and yeah. getting your experience as a, as a coach. So that was very valuable for me. Wow. So, all right. So now how, when do you look at a team, depending on the level of where they're at, do you look at a team like, okay, this is the makeup that I have. This is what I have to do. Or is it kind of, you know, a one, a one-stop shop? You know what I'm, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, do you tailor it based on, the, the athletic abilities of the people that are happen to be on the team that you're working with? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the first thing I do is look at the sport and then I look at what qualities one would need to be successful at that sport. And then, um, it, then it just goes down deeper and deeper rabbit holes. Then I look at injuries. What are common injuries in that sport? Um, and then um, after doing a deep analysis and needs analysis of the sport, then I look at the athletes that I'm working with. And uh, in my profession, we call it a needs analysis. So, you know, we would put an athlete through a gauntlet of tests um, and that will determine what needs that athlete uh, requires in order to be more successful at his or her sport. So it's layers. First, I look at the sport, then I look at the athlete. You know, Which sport is closest when- to basketball? Which sport is closest um, to basketball? Well, I wouldn't say there's one 
particular one, I would say volleyball, oftentimes strength and basketball, strength and conditioning coaches get paired with volleyball. Um, I just think it's because the jumping aspect. Explosion. But they don't like do them. as much. Yeah, there's a lot of jumping, a lot of change of direction, a lot of acceleration, a lot of deceleration. Mm-hmm. So I think in that regard, there are a lot of similarities. Wow. Um, but at the same time, they don't um, they don't accumulate the amount of miles a basketball player would on a court. But I would say that that's a fairly close one. That's a good question. Okay. So Thanks. go ahead, Chuck. So Sonny's body was built by Nautilus back in the day. Back in the 80s, <laughs> that's what we had, okay? At Villanova, <laughs> we literally had a trailer. We had a trailer. It looked like somebody's house burnt down, Jeff, and they had a trailer, <laughs> like, to live in. And we had a Nautilus rotation in there, and we would work out in there. And then, and then we win a national championship, and then the next year we got a strength coach, okay, in quotes. Yeah. All right. And yeah, he had everybody yeah. bench pressing 350 plus, but nobody can get a rebound because they couldn't put their arms past here. You know <laughs> what I mean? It was one of those things. Yeah. So it's not yeah. so much the free weights. Talk about how the kids today work out. It's more functional strength. Right. Right, Jeff. It's got to be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So for talk sure. about it's the like, difference, so- first of all. And then why is it that way now? Yeah, the difference between just like, you know, the old school heavy like bench yes. pressing and yeah. squats, squats bench today. press, pull Free downs. weight, you know, yeah. everything, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I just think as a society or community um, of strength and conditioning professionals, we've all um, – we've just – the research shows that um, there are other things we can work on. And, and I think it was just more of a, a old school approach, you know, just going heavy and, and understanding the needs of, a, say, a basketball player versus a uh, football player. Yeah. Um, and it just became what we call now more sports specific. And, and, you know, looking at an athlete in a sport from the lens is, is this guy or girl strong enough for her sport, so to speak. And um, just understanding that adding another, you know, 20 pounds to your bench press or 40 pounds to your back squat, is that going to transfer onto the court? So I think um, a lot of strength and conditioning professionals just are starting to look at things for transfer. Hey, is is, is me is uh, the risk versus reward um, of getting this guy to put more on his back squat? Is it going to help him, and uh, is it worth it, or should we start training other qualities? So I think just as a community, uh, we've got a little bit more intelligent about our training, and it is more functional, it's more full body, it's more sports specific. So. Talk to us about, I know that you're into uh, Sparta sports science, right? Mm. Is that, so that's more about keeping players on the field, preventing injuries and, and functional strength as we were just talking about. Talk about what that's mm. about and why you, why you got heavily into that. And I, you know, I think it's interesting because I was doing some due diligence as Sonny and I do. Uh, when we do the shows and you know i i found that fascinating really did you know and uh i you know when you when you see the the cleveland browns are saying they're 26 percent more healthy or um another team with 72 percent less injuries that's huge those are huge numbers in the course of a season and and if you're on the field you're and you're performing on the field that's really what it's all about that's why they got you there right for sure. For sure. I mean, I think for me, at least my, my job is to keep everyone healthy. That's the first 
you know, box I got to have to check. It's just making sure everybody's available on our roster. Um, now, when it comes to – so Sparta is a force plate. And, and what a force plate does is um, you jump on a force plate and it, they have like thousands of different metrics. And it shows you how somebody produces force. So, I mean, you could use it in, and then you can also use it in a way to kind of flag potential injuries um, in the sense that if you see someone's jumping and there's a huge disparity in their left limb versus their right limb when it comes to force production, that's something that you may want to investigate. If there's a, for example, we'll do, now we don't use Sparta at St. John's, we use something called Hawking force plates but I'll have all my guys jump on Hawking force plates and just get a baseline of how they produce force. And let's say now we're two weeks into um, training in the preseason and a guy sprains his ankle and he's rehabbing with our AT. And then I bring him back on those force plates and I analyze his jump. And then I see where we're at like, and to determine if this gentleman or this young basketball player is back to his baseline. And if not, then we have to go in and create some uh, rehab protocols to get that ankle or get that uh, athlete to produce force back to normal, so to speak, or even better than normal. Um, another way we use it is just to see if our training program is working. Right. Um, so sometimes, you know, I'll write a training program for somebody to be a four week program and then I'll throw them on the plates. I have them jump on the plate and then um, the force plate will tell me, I'm like, hey, you know, the athletes are always curious. They're like, oh, man, I'm, I'm still jumping, you know, 36 inches. And I'm like, yeah, you're still jumping 36 inches, but, you're, you know, you're three pounds heavier. And our force plates are telling me that you're getting off the ground quicker. So we did get better. And we did see some transfer from that training. You're getting off the ground faster. So you, as a result, as a rebound, you're getting off quicker than you were four weeks ago. That's unbelievable. So, um, I mean, you're getting that intricate and that detailed of information from, from using the plates, right? Oh yeah, it's it's huge. It's huge. It's huge. Um, I mean, now they're very common. Before they were, I mean, they're still expensive, but um, I think a lot of institutions and sport teams have uh, seen the value in them. So um, you know, you see them if you're watching an NBA game ever, you might see them on the court. A lot of strength and conditioning coaches have their athletes jump before a game. That's another reason they use them. It's something called readiness. So um, if I jump you on my fort, let's say we're practicing, uh, you know four days in a row and they're hard practices. Um, and then I throw you on my plate and you're jumping and, and you're, you know, decrease your vertical by 10%. That might tell me you're a little bit fatigued. Um, like, okay, this guy's fatigued. Let's, you know, apply some recovery modalities to help him recover for our game on Saturday. So, um, yeah. So that's interesting like, because you went right, you led me right in like a pro just now. You didn't even know, but you did. So when we played, you know, and, and let's talk about like the Big East tournament, you know, where you could possibly play four games in four nights. Okay. Mm -hmm. These guys today have so many gadgets. Like they have these boots that they put on that squeeze the legs. They got, you know, ice baths. And we, we didn't have any of that. I remember having two a days, uh, you know, at, when October 15th was the day, you know, and, and Octo when you start practice on October 15th, we had two a days, two, three hour practices, and you couldn't walk up the stairs to get to your room. You know, talk about how these guys recover, especially in a quick period of time. I mean, I, I'm around the Villanova program a little bit. They have things now called flush days because everybody's monitored. And so the coach now knows, where a guy like me 
Massimino would yell at me and say, hey, you're not working hard enough. And I and I would swear that I was. But now he can show me the numbers that you're working at 65% instead of 85% and things like that. Talk about how that's all changed now. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a huge shift. Um, I mean, in every institution, every sports team, you'll you'll see a cold and hot bath. Uh, we call it contrast bath. So hot, cold therapy. So guys will jump in the cold tub and they'll go back into the hot tub and they'll go back into the cold tub. Um, we have Norma Tech boots, the boots that you described. Uh, we bring in a massage therapist um, throughout the year. We bring in a yoga instructor. We um, just constant mobility. We have supplements, you know, there's food everywhere. Um, and anytime we have activity, there's food there. So if there's a, a weight, a, a training session in the morning, there's going to be breakfast there. If we have practice, there's going to be food there. Um, but the main thing for me, what I preach to, to my athletes is just the, the big rocks is sleep and nutrition. And if you don't get those two right, Anything you do uh, under, I, I call it a pyramid, and I literally write it out. It's like in a PowerPoint. I'm like, hey, these are the big rocks. Sleep is number one. I don't care how much you eat. If you're tired and you're fatigued and you're on one hour of sleep, you're not going to perform well. So we got to make sure we check that box. And then next comes nutrition. You know, try playing a full basketball game when you're extremely hungry. You're probably not going to be as productive. And then under that, it's kind of all clumped together, like your massage therapy, your hot, cold therapy, your... Uh, all of that Norma Tech boots is kind of clumped in on the bottom. Do you get do you get so involved? Are you involved with the menu and and what the nutritional part of it? Is that all part of on? Is that a fall on you? Do you or do you have a nutritionist there that handles that part and you work in concert with that person? Yeah, I I order all of our meals. So um, yeah, I, I handle all of nutrition. We have a dietitian on uh, staff. She just came on. She doesn't work exclusively with us yet. We're working to get a full-time dietitian, but she'll work with special cases. So, um, you know, I, I'm a certified nutritionist, so I'm kind of, you know, I have some information, but I like to rely on the uh, subject matter expert. But when it comes to nutrition, I'll order all of our meals, um, supplements, uh, all the whole gauntlet. Jeff, I got to ask you. So you got a guy like Chuck and you got a guy like me. Okay. So fit, good looking. Then you got a guy a little bit, a little bit chunkier, right? Okay. So you got to, you got to get us ready for the season. What is, what are some of the things that you would do specifically basketball for us to bump on the logs here? Yeah, yeah, you're talking from a strength and conditioning perspective. Yeah, to get us to get us first of all, right? You talked about the the, the testing and the pre-testing, like so. So, what were some yeah. things that you would start with, and then just just to give some people a view, because I think a lot of people have no idea how detailed and in depth this goes to help these kids, yeah. young men, young women, really get to their maximum physical level. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So I, the very first thing I start with is a movement assessment. Um, so basically just checking your your ankle mobility. I'll check your hip mobility. I'll check your hamstring and your, your hip flexor mobility. So we'll start there before we even start touching weights. And then from there, um, that will tell me something about you. And then I'll put them through some performance tests. Um, so we'll do the NBA combine testing. We actually did one today for one of the guys. And so it's a three-quarter court sprint. Um, it's an approach vertical jump. It is a um, 
a uh, squat jump, a standing jump. It's a uh, box agility drill. And then I'll have them do a single leg jump to see any differences in, in their limbs and how they produce force. I'll have them jump on our plates and I'll start there. And then I'll take them through what I call like a preparation phase. And everyone will go through this preparation phase, but essentially it's a phase of training in the weight room for, you know, it could be anywhere from three to four weeks, depending on the time where we're preparing your body for more intense training. So we're basically building a base to make you robust enough to handle more intense training. So, you know, if you get a, a freshman or you get any of these guys who've been on a break, they go home after the um, spring semester and they're home for like three, four weeks. You, you don't want to bring them in and just start loading them with heavy weight. Um, I always assume that guys aren't training as consistently as we'd like them to. So we have to build that base so we can get to that space where we can start doing more intense training, whether that be with, with weights or plyometrics, but preparing the body for what's to come. And the same thing applies when it comes to basketball and conditioning. It's just preparing the body for, I, I look at it like a step, you know, we're trying to get to the top of the step, but we can't skip steps in the process because that's how things go wrong. So we have to build the foundation and keep building and get you prepared for the first week of uh, training camp in the fall. So, when, so when you a have kid to goes be home for break. When a kid goes home for break, what do you do about him going to mom's cooking? Is there, yeah, is I mean, there it, something that you guys do that, you know, you give him some kind of uh, documentation so he knows, you know, this, you know, do you track that stuff? Do they, do they weigh in via, you know, FaceTime or do they do any of that kind of stuff? Well, it depends if you're a, um, a guy who a body, we call them body comp guys. If you're a guy who needs to gain weight or lose weight, we're probably going to be in touch during your time off. Um, but for the most part, all of our guys are pretty set in stone. And once they're here, um, like in the fall, they're, they're going to be here. Well, that's pretty much to the end of the year. So there's not going to be a ton of time where they go home. But for the most part, if, if you're going home for a weekend, may, maybe some of the guys get to go home for a weekend that live locally. But um, no, you, you enjoy your time off. But if, uh, for example, in the spring, if there's a, a kid who's going home for about four weeks, we're going to have a detailed plan on what he's doing if he needs to lose weight or gain weight. And we're, we're going to stay in touch throughout those four weeks. Um, I'll let him enjoy his time, but I'll check in. It's like, hey, how we doing? You know, how's the scale doing? All right, let's stay focused. When we get back, we need to be at X weight. So, yeah, it'll be very detailed in that sense. So how how involved are you then? You have to be a little bit involved with the practice planning with Coach Patino and his crew, right? Like it's like, okay, here's a couple guys that are not really at ready peak performance. They're not going to be able to go at, let's just take a number, 90%, whereas these guys are. I, I mean, that has to – has to take an impact and to account it into an account into what we're planning for practice. Is that true? Yeah. Well, I'm not involved in actual practice plan, um, but I will relay information, you know? So if, um, if I see a guy is coming back from an ankle sprain and I'm working with him earlier in the day and I put him through some agility drills to see how stable his ankle is, I will report up what I see and make a recommendation. I was like, hey, this is what, what I, we did. This is what I saw. And I don't think um, this individual is ready for a full practice okay. today. 
And then our AT, our athletic trainer, will also uh, partake in that conversation. Yeah, the, the, but I'm not involved in the actual practice planning. I will, um, I will report our mileage. I will make recommendations. Um, and then, you know, the coaching staff kind of takes it from there. And they're, they're great. Talk, talk about your relationship with the athletic trainer. That was the one question I had, I had written down here because I do my due diligence. But yeah. how, 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 how does that relationship look? the beginning of the season through the season. Yeah. So um, it, it's, it's a tight relationship. The athletic training and strength and conditioning coach have to be in unit. They have to be one. Um, I saw our AT today and, you know, he'll come over and if, uh, so basically the way it works is just, and the athlete will go to the AT and get treatment. And then um, the AT from there, that athlete may come to me and, and get in the weight room with me. And the AT has to relay any information to me and say, hey, this is what's going on with, with you know, Joe Smo, and um, this is what he's experiencing. Let's avoid overhead movements. Let's avoid lateral movements. Let's avoid jumping. Um, and then that kind of tells me. And then I'll tell him what I'm doing. I'm like, okay. Or he'll tell me, say, hey, we need to strengthen um, – we need to strengthen this particular muscle group. We need to strengthen this uh, kid's glute need. And I'll say, okay. And then I'll put together a plan. I'll let him know what I'm doing. And then we'll just be in contact throughout that whole process. So it's a very close relationship. And I think, you know, from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, you probably end up being really close in developing a system to try to keep these athletes healthy. Well, does your, What's your biggest challenge? Okay, go ahead, Sonny. Last question on this same topic. Does your training and your pretest training, then you relate to the trainer the other way around? Like what he says, hey, this is what I'm seeing. Keep an eye on this. And then you're testing guys. You're like, hey, I see, you know, Joe Schmo has has some left knee weakness. Let's let's get some things going there. You, you, you something like that? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It works both ways. It works both ways. So, you know, the same, the, just the same example, if I'm, I'm putting an athlete through a particular drill and I'm noticing something, I will let our AT know and I'll check in with the athlete and they'll let me know what's going on. It's like, hey, it hurts when I drive my knee over my toe. And I said, okay, well, go see our AT about that. And then I'll circle back with our AT and he'll tell me his diagnosis or what he thinks is going on. And then we'll come up together, we'll come up with a plan together in the sense of, uh, you know, my brain will start working. I'll say, all right, I think we, this is what I think I'll do in the weight room. And he'll um, either sign off on that or add to that. What's your biggest challenge that you face with kids coming from different schools? You got 13 guys on the team this year that are all from mm -hmm. different places. Do you get a lot of, oh, at Iona, we did it this way. At Kentucky, we did it this way. Or, you know, do you get a lot of that stuff? And what is the difference between that kid and a kid that's brand new coming out of high school? Yeah, good question. Um, in terms of like what I do and what I implement with the kids, I don't get a lot of that. Like, hey, when I when I was with this strength coach, we did X. Or when I was in with this strength coach, we did Y. And we got a lot of older guys this year, too. We got six uh, fifth-year seniors. So, um I don't get that question a lot. I think this year the biggest challenge is um, probably just trying, and I think the coaching staff will probably agree, is you got 14 new guys. 
and you're just trying to get them all to walk in the same line and you're trying to build the culture. And I think that is the biggest challenge for everyone. Um, so, I mean, the, 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 they're awesome. The kids are great. But I think just building that culture with a lot of older guys um, and just getting everyone to be one, you know, smooth machine is uh, probably the biggest challenge. Do you, do you find that with NIL and some of the things that these kids are exposed to now, you know, when, you know, back when we played, I played in the park, Sonny played in the park. We didn't play 85 games in the summer with AAU, you know, um, <laughs> we probably played more than that on the asphalt, which probably was worse for us than playing in the gym. But do you find yeah. that some of these kids have their own train, own personal trainers? And, and if oh, yeah. so, how do you deal with that? Because, you know, you're the guy, you know, at St. John's. So your your rule is law, I would think. You can't you can't have some guy you've never met kind of unravel all the stuff that you, all the hard work that you put into this kid. You know, how does that work? How does that relationship work? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. I, I think you see that a lot at the pro level, but even now at the collegiate level, you know, all of these kids at some point um, have worked with a trainer uh, back home. Um, so they all have been exposed to, you know, some training. Um, but in season, once they're at St. John's, they're, they're with me. They're not, they're not doing anything else with uh, any other trainer. And then when they go back home, um, at least this summer, all the guys were, were doing the program that, um, that I gave them. So, but, but yeah, that is now in a situation if um, if there is a kid who goes and he goes back to California and he says he has a guy in California, him and I, him and his guy, we would speak, him and his trainer, and kind of I would give him an update on, on what we've been working on, what I see, what I think he needs to work yeah. on. And we would collaborate in that regard. And, you know, I, you know, it's great if the, if an athlete has a trainer at home, that makes me sleep well at night because I know he's going to be training and, um, and that's probably going to keep him healthy and make my job easier when I get that kid back. So I want to work with that trainer, but I just want to make sure we're all going in the same direction. And, um, yeah, makes sense. Now, in your world, what's it look like from a national perspective? You guys have a group, an organization. Does the Big East have – I know the Big East does so much with coaches. Do they do things with trainers and performance coaches as well? Do you guys uh, – you put on programs for other schools. Talk about a little bit about the stuff that you do and or organizations that you're involved with. Yeah, I think the NSCA is the biggest, uh, you know, that's the National Strength and Conditioning Association. That's like the biggest uh, organization that is around. But uh, the Big East, it's my first year in the Big East. As far as I know, I, I'm pretty confident. I don't think they do anything specifically for strength and conditioning staff. But the NSCA, uh, they do a ton. And, um, you know, so it's a, it's a tight-knit network. Um, there's a lot of continuing education. And, you um, Strength and conditioning coaches are just very, you know, very tight in, in the sense, uh, you know, I just spoke to a coach today from another institution and just reached out to him and um, other coaches will reach out and say, hey, what are you doing for recovery? What are you doing on the road? What are you implementing with nutrition? What kind of tech you're using? So we kind of all uh, ping pong off of each other and pick each other's brain to try to get better. I, I want to ask you specifically about the knee and I see guys now, pretty much everybody wears low-top sneakers. 
And I was told by a couple people, listen, we wear low tops because we'd rather sprain our ankle than wear high tops and sprain our knee. First question. Second question is the ACL injury. I think it's happening Mm. less. And there has to be, you guys have to be, there has to be something going on in your strength and your training that's, that's kind of isolating or just talk a little bit about that particular injury. Yeah. Yeah. I think the low tops, I think, you know, the research shows that, um, that there's really no difference between low top and high. That's top. what I heard. Yeah. And, um, and that's why, it's, yeah, I think that's why you're seeing a lot more low cut shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when it comes to the knee and just ACL injuries, I think this is one of those things like over time we've become more educated about the knee and just training in general and how to prepare and create a robust athlete. And I think, um, and that's everything. The same thing goes with the ankles. You know, if ankle sprain is the most prevalent injury in basketball. So you probably want to do a ton of ankle strengthening exercises. And, um, and it all goes back to the needs analysis and analyzing the mm-hmm. sport and, um, and just going through there. But I think in, in my experience, just working with uh, really good coaches and mentors, I've learned a lot about just uh, knock on wood, just trying to prevent these injuries from happening. Um, I think forced plates have helped. Um, I, I think the biggest rocks have been just just research and um, the information that's available out there to uh, keep an athlete healthy and robust. And then from there, I think forced plates and, and recovery modalities, all those things have helped as well. I, I want to ask you about the ankle injury because you brought it up. It seems like somebody, and, and as a coach, this is what my trainers would tell me when I was coaching the girls or the boys, it was like, a kid with an ankle injury, you don't want a chronic ankle problem. They talk about, you know, they re-injure it. They come back too soon. What would be like your talk? You're talking to me. I'm a high school coach. I got athletes. Talk. Just give me a little bit of a, an understanding of that ankle joint in basketball and some of the things that, that you see could be avoided at the lower level so you don't have these, listen, I got a bad right ankle, you know, like, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think um, I think one of the biggest things that could help is just having strength and conditioning coaches at the high school level. Um, they're starting to pop yeah, up they are. more, mm-hmm. but uh, a lot of these kids are going through their whole high school career and just not training. And um, the reason why we have strength and conditioning coaches is to because it's a value. It's valuable. And it, it can help prevent injuries. So I think having a strength and have, being exposed to strength and conditioning at an early age um, and doing it consistently will help. And then it, uh, what was the second part of your question? If I'm a coach and I have the kids, how do I keep them, you know, how do I keep that ankle from not becoming a chronic ankle injury? Oh, okay. Yeah. So the second part I would say, what I see a lot is uh, individuals who have ankle sprains or ankle injuries, not completing their full rehab. And it's just like, once that ankle gets, um, once that athlete feels like he or she can play, they kind of just abandon the rehab protocol and that can have long-term effects and it kind of can run up the chain and then you'll start noticing a kid will have knee pain and then hip hip pain and low back pain mm-hmm. and it all stemmed from this ankle injury from 11th grade that he or she did not fully rehab right. that's it so um 
Yeah, I would say get a strength and conditioning coach and, you know, make sure you're, you're building a strong ankle, uh, a mobile ankle, and then um, stay consistent with your training. If you sprain your ankle, continue with your rehab throughout the whole program. So we talked about the intricacies of what you do and how you do it. And it, and it's, it's interesting. It really is. It's, it's, Festive. it's a real sign. It's a real science, you know, not like back in the day, you know, go ice it, go take an Advil and you're good. You know, that was kind of, yeah. that was kind of how we rolled back in the eighties. Rub 80s. some dirt on it, baby. So <laughs> rub some dirt on it and get back in there. Um, so I want to, I want to, we, we're running up against it a little bit, but I want to ask you a little bit about what it's like to work with the Hall of Famer, Coach Patino. I mean, how is he in practice? Is he as intense as he seems in the game or more intense in practice? He's getting up there in age. You know, we saw him yesterday. Um, he looks he great. Look I mean, he, he looks like look he's in age. shape. He does look very healthy, but he's got to be in his mid to late 70s at this point. And I, does he show any signs of slowing down at all? Jeff? Not at all. Not at all. Coach is, uh, coach is in great shape. You know, even the kids say it. They're like, are you impressed? They ask, it's funny. One of the kids asked me, they said, what do you think about Coach P? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, just him moving around like that. And, you know, we probably, we have long practices and I'm on my feet the entire practice and I'm feeling it. And Coach P is just going. And uh, he kind of puts me to shame. Um, but no, he, he's in phenomenal shape. He's intense. He doesn't look like he's slowing down at all. Um, you know, he, he's doing really well. He's thriving. He, he's exercising. Uh, Coach P looks great. He looks great. Yeah, you can tell he, he, he's involved. He, he loves the kids. He loves the program. Um, he loves basketball. So it, it's been great. It's been great. I'm always watching Coach P and trying to learn from him. You know, I'm, I think I'm in a real fortunate position to be around somebody, a Hall of Fame coach, around greatness. And, um, you know, I'm always watching them and see what I can take from them and learn from them. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, Coach P is awesome. His preparation. Yeah, does he let though, you? Does he? Does he? His preparation and the, his the preparation? amount of details that he goes into. Right. I mean, it has to be off oh, the yeah. charts. He's very. Oh uh, yeah, he's very detail oriented. You know, uh, Coach P could probably tell you what we're doing on January seventh. You know, right yeah. now. A lot of the old school guys are like that, Sonny. Massimino was like that, too. I mean, he had – and he kept all of his practice uh, schedules, you know, all the way until until he passed away. He still had them all. I mean, it was was wild how that works, you know. Yeah, yeah, very detailed. I'm always watching, especially, you know, being that I played years ago, just some of the nuances of the game. It's just – it's learning. I'm like, oh, wow. It's it's, – it's really fun to watch, just like the details of basketball, things that I didn't even know exist. Um, it, it's real fun to watch. Yeah. Does he take you inside the office? Does he talk with you? Does he, you know, is it one of those things? Does he let you kind of be yourself on the floor when you're out there with the kids, or is he trying to take control of a, all, all, the, all the whole situation? Uh, well, when it comes to my job, no, Coach, coach lets me do my job. That's great. Coach lets me do my job, and um, – yeah, and then, you know, if he has questions about somebody or something, absolutely, we'll, we'll chat about it. Absolutely. But um, Coach lets me do my job. If he has a question or I provide him with updates, I'll, yeah, he, he's great to work for in that sense. Um, just he's not a micromanager. He's like, hey, I hired you to do a job. I'm going to let you do your job. And when I have a question or when I come to check to make sure you're doing your job, um, 
you better be doing your job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so uh, so far, I've been, it seems like I've been doing my job. So I haven't uh, I haven't heard much. That's yet, good. You know, so no news is good yeah. news on that front, Jeff. No news you know? is good news. That's no news it. Is, yeah, exactly. Well, listen. Exactly. Last question, and we'll and we'll let you go. How how sure. you know everybody's wondering about St. John's because they have all these players that have come from all over the place. He basically cleaned house, you know, and and <clears> was uh, ceremoniously cleaned house. You got two kids, I think, that played before at St. John's that are back, right? Yeah. Um, yep. How how are they going to be this year? How is St. John's looking as a whole without giving up any trade secrets? We're no, not no pressure. Either. Yeah, We're not no asking pressure. For play. It's no pressure. <clears throat> no pressure. No. <laughs> it, it's tough. It's tough because um, I, I, I talk to people about this all the time. I don't know. I don't know how good we, we, we look great in practice, in my opinion. You know, I see, of course, we got to get better. We got to all get, um, get on the same page. Um, but you don't know until you get out on the court against another opponent. Well, they played good against and, Rutgers, no? They had a Rutgers <laughs> scrimmage. That was a great that was a great exhibition. Um, it went into double overtime. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, we look really we look good. There was a lot of good things to come out of that game there, um, but it's really hard to tell at this point. I think you got to we got to get a couple games under our belt to find out. I, I will say there's a lot of I think we're talented. Um, I think we got a lot of talent on our team, so I, I think um, time will tell. But uh, you know, I feel good. I feel good about our team. Good. I feel. I don't. I don't feel like we're missing anything. Um, I think Coach did a great job putting together a roster. I I think Sonny and I both would would agree. I think that the the league is much better when St. John's is competitive and Georgetown is competitive. It's better for the league. It's better for everybody, and it makes for exciting basketball. I think the Big East Conference this year is going to be one of, if not the best conference in the country, the way the way it's appearing uh, right now. It's early, like you say. We'll see. The proof's in the pudding, right? So, yeah. well, we've been with Jeff Evelard, and we want to just say, hey, thank you so much for sharing your time with us tonight, Jeff, because this was really an interesting topic for us. We don't get to talk about this stuff much. And being former players – it's wild listening to the, the nuances and the differences from when we played, uh, you know, a million years ago, it seems. It's archaic, you know, the stuff that we used to yeah, do yeah. compared to what you're doing with the guys. So thanks a lot for coming out and joining us today on the Big East Rewind. We appreciate you very much. Thanks. Hey. No problem. Thank you for having hey, me, guys. Thanks a million. Fun. I thanks appreciate a million. It. Great stuff. Well, look, if we make it to the tournament, let's uh, let's do let's do a part two. Oh, yeah, all right. let's do that. I, I'm I'm all down. I'm all in oh. for that. That sounds great. That sounds How about great. we we come down? Let's break some bread together. There you go. Yeah, That'd be it. good too. I love it. We get down there a lot because we're pretty close now with Coach Lou. You know, Coach Lou has been oh, on the show oh, yeah. a couple times. We've we've been out for lunch with him a couple times, and uh, you know, like this, we'll have to stop in. We'll give Wait, you a like call this. and uh, oh, three stop in. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You've been, you've been listening to the Big East Rewind with Chuck Everson and Sonny Sparrow. The Big East Rewind has been produced and directed by Nick Chico Chorus and Daryl Gurney and our new partners, Boundless Ventures. We want to thank the folks over there for doing a great job with our social media platforms. Be on the lookout. We're going to have a new Big East Rewind website coming out very, very soon, and we'll make announcements when that's due. But in the meantime, and anything social media, put Big East Rewind in the search bar. 
Uh, you could see us on YouTube. You can hear us on anywhere you get your podcast by putting Big East Rewind in the search bar. We ask you to like, share, and subscribe. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Thanks, everybody.